the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour tour. We do so as we do every Friday with George Kaloff. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president of Data Orbital. He's the best political consultant I know, and we are delighted he is here in Arizona as well as here with us on this show. George, happy Friday. Thanks for joining us uh, on a repeat performance this week. I know. It's a, it's a good week when I'm on with uh, Seth Leibson twice in five days. <laughs> well, the times <laughs> demand it. The times require uh, yeah. you. <laughs> George, we may have solved our primary uh, uh, results here in Arizona, uh, I guess, uh, with the capstoning of it last night. But there are a few others and some other issues we're going to have to think through for the general. Let's start with a few other primaries. The one making all the news right now is, uh, I think, the one making all the news right now is in Wyoming, where it looks like, you tell me your sense of it, uh, it looks like Elizabeth Cheney is going to be soundly and roundly defeated by Harriet Hageman. Uh, Harriet Hageman has been a guest on this show, by the way. I, I like the cut of her jib very, very much. I'm, I'm a supporter of her, so let me just disclose that. But uh, your sense of that race right now, George? Yeah, and, and look, Harriet, I've been following her since when she ran for governor in that super complicated race oh, yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, she is super talented. I, I think that race could be summed up, and I'm not sure who put this on Twitter, but someone um, was alluding to the recent video that came out, which I know we're going to talk about, where yeah. former Vice President Dick Cheney did a video for his daughter, Liz, and the video was spent, 60-second video, 55 seconds of what was spent trashing uh, President Trump, a man who won Wyoming by a, a wide margin, and someone summed it up by saying it's clear for anyone who thinks that Liz Cheney is actually trying to win this primary that that's not the point. Uh, you know, she knows she's going to lose, and at this point, she's just making her final stand, uh, which is her right to do so, whether it's with the January 6th commission that she's helping co-chair or with the way that the race has been conducted. Uh, I think most political observers see and see what happened, frankly, even in Arizona, some of these town ballot races. And others, I mean, I think people would be shocked if it's less than a 30 percent victory for, for Harriet, if not more. Right. I would think the same thing, too. There, there's got to be an odd it's it, it's either tremendous tone and merit deafness by the Cheney family. I mean, tremendous deafness to the point that you almost want to call a political physician in or some kind of political scientist to help diagnose them with their hearing and sight problems. Or it's exactly what you said, which is she's angling for something else. Uh, I guess like people who leave the Trump White House, turn on Donald Trump and then get hired by ABC. I, I, maybe it's something like that, uh, George. But let me pause on the first notion for a moment. If she wants to do something else, maybe form her own party or join the Democrats. You know, it's an interesting thing. These Democrats who like to talk about the bravery of people like the Cheneys and the Kinzingers and the other Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump, but then they end up supporting their opponents. You cannot trust that party and you cannot please that party as a Republican. When will we ever learn? Exactly. I mean, this is even my comment on 
the the never Trumpers in the Lincoln right. Project, which right. obviously we know, you know, everything that ended up happening there and the horrificness of so many people in their leadership. But aside from that, uh, after they went and they were opposing Donald Trump, what did they do? They were opposing just rank and file Republican senators that had nothing to do with Donald Trump around the country. And right? rank and file conservative issues, whether it had to do with exactly. foreign policy to abortion, right? Exactly, exactly. And now those same members are calling out, uh, frankly, people like very prominent individuals like a, a Bill Crystal, not to pick on him, but, but you know, very clearly. Oh, you can he, pick I mean, on him. Came out, <laughs> it's okay. I mean, he, he came out in, in opposition to, you know, what was happening in Kansas right. and the, the pro-life thing, which we'll, we're going to talk about. I mean, there's just there's odd things like that. And then people look at that and they say, oh, my God, you know, we're going to hold them up. The other thing that's ironic, I've already seen on Twitter, because obviously that's where all uh, things good, bad and otherwise are seen these days where Democrats were like, oh, wait, wait, we have to be too careful not to give too much love to Dick Cheney because he was the he was there. Yeah, <laughs> he was the most he hated was the man Darth in Vader. The country. Yeah, exactly. I mean, man, he, he was the guy behind President Bush who for eight years ate their lunch uh, or and, and whatever phrase that you want. And now, again, he's being held up. And so you can't you can't have it both ways. And even now we're already seeing that you can't please them. There are two parties for a reason. We only have two parties. This isn't like in Europe or the Middle East or other places where you have 50 parties and every Tom, Dick, and Harry can open up shop if they get upset. You have two parties. Uh, you know, and there's some Republicans that are pretending to live in this no-man land, and there's this new movement propelled by a lot of these never-Trumpers to make a third party, which we know in America, based on the history of the last 200 and some years, that that's probably not going to come to fruition and bear any fruit. But it's, uh, it seems like they don't learn their mistakes. They keep repeating it. They every keep, year, every cycle, and they're and they're and they're and they're the, they're they're deaf to any advice to the contrary. I mean, how how badly do you have to misread the political landscape and your own biography to be Dick Cheney and think that really at this point people want to take political cues from you? There were. You know, there were merits to Dick Cheney, but there was probably there are probably few vice presidents that weren't uh, that didn't resign office that left office in less in, in, in greater shame than he did. This was not a man who was popular when he left office. And the Bush Cheney administration, I think it's fair to say, is viewed by most Republicans and conservatives as uh, OK when it was there, but well, well beyond its shelf life and use life at this point. Yeah. I mean, look, there's there's so much. Uh, I really think it comes down to they're making a political stand. We know elected officials, even in former elected officials that have been out of office for a number of years now that took political stands. Uh, you get to the point, I think, in a political campaign or in your career where you realize I'm just not the cup of tea of today. Yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm here and everyone else is there, whatever metaphor you want to use. And then you do one of two things. You either bow out gracefully uh, or you take this final stand, whether or not it ends in the suicide of your political career. And I believe this is what's panning out. But on the flip side of that, to, to almost play not devil's advocate, but on the flip side of that, the, the point is probably not a political future. The point is that, you know, whether it's a cushy consulting gig or, like you said, some sort of media gig, people make uh, people make careers of that and they take a stand. You don't have to be loved by everyone to go make a bunch of money by being the supposed conservative on the view or whatever, yeah, whatever it yeah. may be on some of these talk show, uh, you know, things in the media or in the consulting world or otherwise. So that's what I think is happening here. She's taking a stand. She understands that the writing's on the wall. And uh, and this is part of them taking a stand as a family. There is, however, George, if you will uh, work with me on this for a second, there is, however, another level of scam and disgust that I see in this, though. And it's someone with no 
realistic chance of winning an election that still is campaigning and seeking funds either locally or nationally for what everyone with a with a with a, with an IQ above your shoe size knows is a failing campaign that has no shot. I really resent um, politicians or people trying to become elected officials who have no shot because good people are hoodwinked into giving their money and resources to them, volunteering their time for them. You know, a close campaign is one thing. Uh, a long shot campaign with rational prospects is another. But a dead end campaign where she's, you know, putting out fundraisers and people are complying with it. I got to tell you, I, 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 I just think I think someone should be ashamed of themselves for doing that kind of thing. I mean, look, and, and, and usually what happens is these campaigns end up turning into organizations. Look at what exactly. Evan Mullen did when he ran for president. Exactly. We knew he wasn't going to win. I mean, again, exactly. there's no way an independent's going to win. He came in a whatever third place in Utah, the ones that he may have had somewhat of a chance. Now he's running for Senate. But what happened the moment, literally the moment, and I've been on his uh, list for far too long. I'm me sure too. How do we get off? I've been trying to get off it too. <laughs> you tell me if you figure out how. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, right, right. So the day after the election, they announced the creation of this new organization that essentially has spent the last two years poking their finger in the eye of Republicans, and now he's going after Mike Lee. Uh, I mean, right, it never stops. It it's never not stops. about, I really, I've become resigned to it for a lot of these individuals. Some of them, it's, it's not the case. A lot of them, though, it was never about President Trump. It was about a convenience pre-President Trump that they, you know, we lived in this big tent Republican Party where they were nominally Republican at best, nominally, and then all of a sudden the party woke up and said, yeah, I'm done with this. Yeah. And they felt themselves without a political home, and now they're revolting. But it, it was propelled by President Trump. But we all know, again, they're going after all kinds of people that are not President Trump because they just don't believe in our issues and values. That's, yeah, that's exactly line. right. I mean, if Dick Cheney really believes, as he said, that in our nation's 246-year history, there's never been an individual who's a greater threat to our republic, then you know you're talking to someone who's an idiot. Because it's simply not true. Uh, there was something called the Civil War. There were the Nathan Bedford Forests of the world, of course. There were the Assassins, of course. There was the Whiskey Rebellion. There were all kinds of the John Brown stuff. I mean, my God, to put Donald Trump into that category shows you have no moral or political credibility whatsoever. George, I want to keep you in another segment because this Kansas abortion thing needs to be discussed a little bit, especially as we look at how we may handle it in Arizona and other states. I can keep you another segment, can't I? Let's do it. I'm Seth Liebson. He's George Kalov, and he is the president of Data Orbital and the managing partner at the Resolute Group. I'm Seth. He's George, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, inflation is at a 41-year high, and every day more harmful decisions by the current administration are continuing to hurt the economy. The good news is when investments fall, gold traditionally holds its value, which is why I recommend calling Midas Gold Group to talk about safeguarding your wealth with physical gold or other precious metals. The veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. Seb Gorka and I own precious metals from them. Many of you already do as well. More of you can. Give them a call to talk about diversifying your investments. Call them at 480-360-3000. That's the Midas Gold Group at 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's the MidasGoldGroup.com. George Kaloff is our guest. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president of 
data orbital. Uh, George, uh, we have been watching uh, and reading the analyses, <coughs> excuse me, coming out of Kansas, particularly on their ballot measure regarding abortion. It sends some shockwaves, I think, through a lot of the Republican and conservative community and maybe raise some eyebrows even amongst the Democrats and liberals. But there's more to it than just simply saying the vote was won or lost, isn't there? There is. There is. To unpack quickly for, for folks listening, since obviously this election is the same night as our primary, uh, before the Dobbs decision was handed down in Kansas, they had put a uh, referendum to, to vote to say, would, should we keep our right to an abortion that was found by the Supreme Court? Uh, in the Kansas state constitution, or should we not, and leave it up to the legislature. Then dogs happened. Well, they already were down the path. I think anyone from a political perspective would understand that putting up a vote to, to the people a mere weeks after a major cultural decision was made that, that changed 50 years of, of uh, policy uh, was, was going to be a difficult one. A lot of money came in from both sides. The other thing that people forget is while, yes, Kansas was won 15 percent by Donald Trump, and it's a it's a pretty Republican state in the last 50, no, in the last 70 years. I, I read an article about this. They've had seven Republican governors and six Democratic governors. They currently have a Democratic governor. They have four members of their congressional delegation, one of which is a Democrat in the most populous and fastest growing portion of the state, which is eastern Kansas, which takes up the main cities. So... It's a very complicated state. It also, most importantly, was an exceptionally complicated worded referendum for a whole host of reasons that uh, we don't necessarily need to get into. But for the purposes of this you know, conversation, a lot of things were triangulating to make it difficult. Uh, and, and because of all of these things, because we have not really had time to unpack as a nation in this states, whether you're Kansas, Arizona or otherwise, uh, it went down. I don't think we can surmise from this, though. And again, let's continue to unpack this. I don't think we can surmise from this, though, and we shouldn't surmise from this. Oh, my gosh, life is, can't win when put up to the vote of the people. There's a lot of complicating factors here. And again, we need uh, we need more time. There's a lot of there's a lot that goes into this subject and this issue. And Kansas was never going to be the slam dunk that people uh, thought that it would be. But of course, it fits a very convenient political narrative for the left. Uh, and the media is now saying, oh, my gosh, the life issue is dead. Pro-lifers are crazy. Look at how bad it lost. It feeds and, and helps their, obviously, their interest. Yes, uh, that's, a good, that's a good analysis, George. And I think there's a few other things I would want to add or underscore to what you just said. Uh, first of all, there's a temporary use of what took place in Kansas in simply talking about the Dobbs decision, which is that Kansas could not have engaged in this if the Supreme Court outlawed abortion in this country. What it proved, obviously, is that, no, it is subject to votes in the states now or the state legislators' decisions. Uh, you can't have both. Either either the Supreme Court issued a diktat or Kansas was acting in a revolutionary manner. It wasn't. It was acting in accordance with the Dobbs decision, which allows the states to make these decisions now. Fair enough? 100 percent, right? That was the whole point. Right. We don't want unelected justices to have found a right you know, incorrectly in the Constitution to protect something that was never meant to be protected. Uh, it needs to go back to uh, elected representatives of the people at the state and national levels, by the way. Uh, yeah, we need to talk about that at some there. point, too. But nor did the Supreme yeah. Court ban it and outlaw abortion. Clearly, they didn't. Otherwise, yeah. Kansas would have been, as I say, engaging in a revolution here, which they were not. The other thing, yes, I, I can't stress 
this enough. And we face this problem in Arizona, too, with ballot initiatives. But the ballot initiative there, I, I, I really challenge anyone in earshot to read it for themselves. And this is a, uh, you know, an audience that is very engaged and obviously very smart. It's a very confusing. It's a very confusingly written uh, 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 proposition. Uh, think of it just this way at a basic level. A yes vote as the secretary of state or whoever's office does the electioneering manuals over there, a yes vote is an affirmation that there's no constitutional right. I mean, it's confusing and sending people's brains into a lot of different directions, even contrary directions on, yes, as you put it, a pretty complex and new issue. Yes means no is, in other words, what your vote was supposed to be. It's like the old, yeah, it's like the old Louis Prima song, Yes, We Have No Bananas. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, and again, we know in Arizona, we're very familiar. We have some of the, frankly, loosest, and thankfully we've tightened them a bit, referendum and initiative laws on the books where uh, people and, frankly, out-of-state interests can come in and spend and change whatever they want. And sometimes people write uh, 30, 40, 50-page monstrosities that you then have to unpack in a little blurb that goes on the ballot. I mean, this is not the purpose and the point and the way that our uh, representative democracy, our constitutional republic, I should say, sorry, our constitutional republic was set up, uh, you know, but the framers of our Arizona constitutional law for it and other states like Kansas have this. And so, you know, look, we, we um, there's a lot of caution in that because also then whoever has the most money can get to the most people, unlike the way that we usually, you know, run our system and government, they're the ones that end up having the, uh, having the upper hand. So. You know, it's a funny thing about that whole initiative uh, initiative process in the first place. It's a, it's a really interesting thing. The history of initiatives, for those that uh, want to go back on their political science lessons a little bit, or maybe American history, the history of initiatives came out of the progressive movement. This was a progressive era thing starting in California and moving across to other states. Not all states have them, but the states that do were one of them, obviously Kansas and California. California makes a lot of news with theirs. But it's become an interesting thing when the notion, this progressive notion of giving more votes and more empowerment to the people, right? That was the idea behind it, is now influenced by huge, and nowhere is this more true than Arizona, by huge influences of big bucks from out of state, big interests from out of state, Soros-type interests from out of state. Kind of a perversion of the whole notion and concept of the origin of the initiative process. Of course, of course. A billionaire like George Soros, a billionaire like Tom Steyer, try right. to come in here and shove something down the throats of Arizona's. But the other thing that's maybe even more ironic than this, Seth, and I know you'll appreciate this, is that the, the this progressive notion, because it's of the people, yeah. and it's quote-unquote populist, is only okay if it's pushing progressive yeah. populist values, yeah, not conservative yeah, that's populist it, values. That's it. No, you right? you got the memo. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Yes. Progressivism for me, but not for thee. Exactly, George. Well, we'll talk more about this. We're going to have to deal with it here in Arizona next time we visit, perhaps next week. George, I want to wish you a great weekend. Thanks for holding our hand through the election counts of this week. Bless you in all things, um, George Kaloff of the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks, Seth. You betcha. I'm Seth Leibson. Don't go away. We will be right back. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by my friends at Y-Refi. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity, my friends at Y-Refi are offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really great people. They are investors who do well by doing good for others. And you can be part of that too. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call. You can visit them. They're here locally. 855-316-3087. 855-316-3087. You won't get a sales pitch. They'll just uh, tell you about what they do and let it speak for itself. Uh, speaking of things that um, don't speak for themselves, uh, national emergencies, you're beginning to hear about this thing called monkeypox. Uh, Bill, you, this is something that uh, I guess was discovered in the in the late 1950s. Uh, I'd never heard of it until, I don't know, I started seeing it a couple weeks ago coming up in the news, a little here and there. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, are, are, are people so done with COVID that they need something new to be freaked out about? But uh, this is an amazing thing. I, you know, monkeypox has um, taken something like 10 lives across the world, 10, and zero in America. None here. Hopefully none will be taken here. And it's now a national emergency here. Meanwhile... Last year, we lost 108,000 Americans to illegal drug overdoses, mostly fueled, not entirely, but preponderance fueled by illegal fentanyl. I think it's important to use the word illegal in these things because it concentrates the mind on what we're talking about. And I don't want people to just make this one big mush. Fentanyl is actually used by surgeons and does actually have a medicinal use. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about illegal stuff primarily made in China and shipped into America in pills through Mexico, through drug cartels and mules. 108,000 Americans die from that. No national emergency. In fact, the border is no problem to this administration Monkeypox, which is completely, by the way, preventable. I don't want to get into all of this, but the Washington Post says the, the, the Washington Post, God bless them. The Washington Post says the abstinence model doesn't work. Well, it, it, it is spread through um, sex and primarily a certain kind of sex. Again, keeping this a family show, the Washington Post is going to now tell us abstinence doesn't work. Um, I, I I don't know how sophisticated one has to be. I don't know how many degrees one has to have in medicine or public health or physiology. But I will tell you, the greatest lesson I ever got on abstinence, working and not working, was in Washington, D.C. at a high school. Remember um, Mrs. Uh, Bill's wife, Mrs. Bennett, Elaine Bennett, Bill Bennett's wife? She has a program, uh, abstinence program um, that is pri- it's national, but it's it started in and is primarily focused in the Washington, D.C. schools, particularly the urban schools. And there was a big rally one night for it, for, for her program at uh, the National Mall. 
And I remember a news reporter, I forget what the channels were there. I think it was, it doesn't matter. A, new, a local news reporter goes up to a, a young girl, God bless her. She must have been, must have been about ninth grade. Couldn't have been older than that. Young, beautiful, young black girl. And, um, and the reporter says, D -d -d do you really believe this abstinence message that you're getting from the Best Friends Foundation? And the girl says, I do. And the reporter says, and you think that abstinence works? And the little girl, God bless her soul, she said, every time it's tried, that's all you need, <laughs> you know, and a child shall lead them. I, I swear that the, the, the things, the gyrations we will put this society through for things that don't work. You think about the, 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 the stupid surgical masks, which are not N95 masks. Surgical masks are the regular blue things that everyone else in Joe Biden was waving around and touching and saying was our patriotic duty home. Those have now proven not to be. You can just ask Joe Biden's advisors about that. They're all over CNN and NPR having said as much. Those don't work. But we're going to do. Joe Biden is still wearing them all alone on Zoom calls. But, you know, when it comes to monkeypox, we'll declare a national emergency, but with no behavior alteration whatsoever. None. What do you think that's about? think that's because we politicize these things you think maybe maybe i'm seth liebson let's talk about politicizing the word of god when we come back that's a tease we'll be right back welcome back to the seth liebson show i just thinking about some some of the stuff george kaloff and i were talking about earlier in the hour and uh, i i couldn't get this out of my head uh, you know the movie based on the book of Tom Wolfe's The Bonfire of the Vanities? Sometimes we play audio uh, from the movie, a specific piece from Judge Leonard White, played by Morgan Freeman, lecturing the Al Sharpton character. It's about Al Sharpton in New York, when he was in New York, in the heyday, in the early, uh, in the late 80s, and uh, early 90s. And he's fed up with Al Sharpton, who calls Leonard White, Morgan Freeman, a racist. Uh, I couldn't get this soundbite out of my head as I was listening to Al Sharpton yesterday. And I'm not sure which to do first, the bonfire of the vanities. Yes, yes, let's have the uh, Morgan Freeman lecture to Al Sharpton for a moment. It's about, yeah, anyway, play that for me, Bill, would you? You dare call me racist. Well, I say unto you, what does it matter the color of a man's skin if witnesses perjure themselves? If a prosecutor enlists the perjurers when a district attorney throws a man to the mob for political gain and men of the cloth, men of God, take the prime cuts. Men of the Cloth and Men of God. He's addressing Al Sharpton, or the character that plays Al Sharpton in that movie. When Men of God, you know, distort the message, take the prime cuts, and are in it for purposes that, I guess one could say, puts a stumbling block in front of the blind. I was listening to a clip of Al Sharpton on MSNBC yesterday. He was talking about abortion. I want you to listen to what Al Sharpton said. Reverend Al Sharpton, using... His um, using his credibility as a man of the cloth. 
And in fact, much in the same way, Rev, there was a Gallup poll back, I think it was the fall of 2020, showing the black community has slowly become more accepting of abortion over the past couple of decades. But there are deeply held religious beliefs playing into this, especially with older black voters who are incredibly reliable and incredibly important to Democrats. So how should Democrats be thinking about this? Because obviously they want and need to hold on to those voters. I think that they must message it in a way that it is about choice. It's not about saying I'm voting that I support abortion or not. It's about I support people having the right to choose. Because we're not talking particularly in the black community, and and I would say uh, a large portion of the Latino community. You're not talking about whether or not people are going to be able to have an abortion. You're talking about whether they're going to have a safe abortion. We always had abortions, but we had these back alley, very risky abortions. And we're saying that rather than have people in those situations, they should be able to choose whether or not they want to do, even if it's something that I don't believe in. The Bible, if you're using this as a religious argument, the Bible is about choice. You can go to heaven or hell. There's no way in the Bible said you had to go to heaven. So where do we get this theology of forcing something when the reality is that you can't even biblically base that? It's a question of choice. Is that your sense of the Bible and and what the Bible says? It just... It just has some suggestions, 10 suggestions. I mean, he said we've always had abortion. Yes, 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 yes. We've also always had theft. And yes, yes, yes. We've also had murder. And yes, yes, yes. We have had almost everything in the Bible that God says in the Bible is forbidden. I don't recall it being a choice. There is a choice. The reverend is right. Notice she introduces him as the rev. The reverend is right, and he does sides to go into a theological lesson. Uh, there is there is some biblical verses on choice. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, and in fact, it's also a question that is answered in the Bible. Uh, I put before you the choice of life or death. Doesn't he say that? Doesn't that say that in the Bible? And it doesn't leave it open as to what you're supposed to do. It leaves it as a closed question. Therefore, choose life, the Bible says. That's the choice that you are given, to choose life. It mandates that you choose life if you want to be under God's grace, I guess, in the parlance of the language that the reverend would be normally talking about. And if you can find for me anywhere in the Bible this notion that just because you have free will, the Bible says what you choose with that free will is okay, that is not what the Bible says. There would be no point in the Bible if all it says was, well, everyone has free will, go and do what you want. I, I mean, we are told you shall not murder. That 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 is in the Bible. If you want to talk about the life question, uh, it is in Psalms. You were created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Um, you can get in Jer- Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Uh, in the book of Numbers, you can get this. You can get it further in Psalms. Children are the heritage from the Lord, offspring are rewarding from him. Uh, the 
priest shall put the woman under oath and say to her, If no other man had relations with you and you have not gone astray and become impure while married to your husband, may this bitter water that brings a curse not harm you. But if you have gone astray, on and on the Bible talks, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 times about the importance of life. I don't have time to look them all up. But this notion from a reverend that the Bible is about choice, well, we're not going to certainly make a theological argument in this country and import it on the issue of abortion any more than we would on other things that construct our morality in this country. You don't need to be a believer in the Bible to be against murder. And when someone has a law against murder in this country, as every community and every city and every state does, and federally now too, you don't go around and say, well, we can't have a law about murder because of separation of church and state, or we can't have a law against murder because where does that leave the atheists, or where does that leave the community of believers who doesn't believe in the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic or the, or, 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 the, or the Bible? Because there are moral things we can pass laws on. We can pass laws against theft without believing in the Ten Commandments. But what we cannot say is the Bible leaves it totally up to you as a neutral issue because it's always happened. Well, of course it's always happened. That's why the commandments were set down, to say what God wants and what God does not want, how to be under his grace and how not to be, how to be in compliance with him or not. In Jewish religion, how to be acceptable to the in the world to come or not. I think woe unto pastors and men of the cloth who distort theological messages for politics. You want to keep politics and religion separate, that's fine. But if you're going to integrate it, don't distort the, the religion. Don't distort the Bible to comport with the importance and the far higher God of the National Abortion Rights Action League. Shame on those men of the cloth. Shame on Al Sharpton. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Thanks to our sponsor, Balance of Nature. I take it every single day. One daily dose gives you a blend of 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables, all pure, 100% pure, not 99 and 44, 100%, 100%, including the capsule it comes in. Which, by the way, if you don't like swallowing capsules, as I say, you can easily, it's designed to easily open up and be sprinkled into food or drink. But the capsules are just normal size. I just know some people don't like to, like swallowing capsules. Uh, you can also chew on them. But anyway, to boost your energy and your health and your immunity... Balance of Nature, fabulous product, best I've ever taken. You can too, balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Lest I be confused on the, um, or, or taken as confusing in the last point I was making about religion and politics, I don't want you to think, I think I, I'm one of these people that believes that there has to be a stark separation. I think our politics can come from any number of, of informed reasonings. Some of it comes from morality that is div driven from, that is um, uh, that is divinely inspired and comes from, some of it may come from morality that is not. One can get an entire moral code from we reading the, uh, the Aristotles and the Plato's. One can get an entire moral code that is in compliance, by the way, with much of what the Bible says. One can get moral codes from a lot of different places. I'm just saying if you're going to use the Bible, Let's not distort it. There is a role for it. Most of our greatest social movements in this country 
are derivative from the church. If you think about the movement for manumission, the, the movement to, 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 to end slavery, that came from the churches. If you think about the war against slavery, I mean, what the heck was the battle hymn of the republic? First of all, it was called a hymn. And what the heck could those northerners have possibly meant when they said, as he died to make men holy, we shall die to make men free? Thank God they had the religious inspiration and carried it into their politics. You think about the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s in this country. Interestingly enough, it was led by people with the word reverend in front of their name. And of course, churches with the name like Ebenezer Baptist, Reverend Martin Luther King, Reverend Jesse Jackson. And by the way, let's not forget that a great many of those people who came out of the religious civil rights movement, particularly in the 60s, also were part and parcel of the pro-life movement. Martin Luther King's best friend and number one lieutenant was Ralph Abernathy, Reverend Ralph Abernathy. This man ended up endorsing Ronald Reagan in 1980. You know why? Same thing I just said. That's why. Life. Oh, no, there's, there's no reason to have a naked public square. But if you're going to inject religion into it, Shame on you if you're going to distort religion in order to distort all of our politics and really, at the end of the day, our lives. I'm Seth Liebson. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.